Bandwidth for Change Log is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. I'm Eric St. Martin. I'm Brian Kettleson. I'm Carlizia Pinto. And it's it's go go time. It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. All right, everybody, welcome back for another episode of Go Time. Today's episode is number 45, and our sponsor for today is TopTal. On the show today, we have myself, Eric St. Martin. Uh, Carlicia Pinto is also here. Say hello, Carlicia. Hi, everybody. And Brian Kettleson. Hello. And we've actually managed to drag Adam Stachowiak back from behind the curtain. Say hello, Adam. Hey, it's me. So our guest for today um, actually wasn't able to make it due to a scheduling conflict, but uh, we had some discussions this morning and decided let's do an Ask Me Anything, where we posted in Slack and on Twitter for questions for the hosts and for the producers, which is why Adam got dragged onto the show. So we're just going to work through um, a, a document that we have of questions from everybody. It's a huge document, too. Yeah, and if you're listening live right now, um, feel free to, Adam's probably watching Twitter, so feel free to ask questions at GoTimeFM on Twitter, and feel free to join us on Slack and the GoTimeFM channel and ask questions there, and we'll try to keep track of any new questions that come in. What kind of questions? Any kind of questions. What's so, off limits? Uh, well, I mean, they can ask. We we can choose not to answer. Yeah, we can well, choose not to that's answer. True. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's can say ask any- anything. It's it's not an answer anything. It's an ask anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't ask anything you wouldn't ask your mother. How's that? Exactly. That that is <laughs> not nice. limit much. So, yeah. So basically, um, we didn't want to put anything off limits. Uh, questions about Go. Questions about community. Questions about uh, maybe GopherCon. Questions about personal lives, hobbies. Um, what we do for jobs, anything anybody wants to know, it's time to get to know your hosts and producers. So does anybody want to uh, narrate through the list or do you want me to ask the questions? Uh, why don't we just go through the, the fun questions in any random order that sounds fun and go from there. Easy breezy. I'm, I'm port forwarding something right now, though, so we can have a little more fun later. Oh, I know. That sounds like <laughs> fun. So much excitement. I'm port forwarding right now. Chris Benson in the Slack channel just asked, why didn't my artificial intelligence machine learning talk get selected for GopherCon? Oh, <laughs> oh I know the answer to that one. Oh, wait, I'm going to be quiet. Never mind. That, that wouldn't be nice, would it? So I actually, I think um, we can get into that a little bit uh, later because I, I do remember seeing a question about kind of like how talks are selected. So that probably falls in line really well there and can help answer that question. I'm just going to start with the uh, first one on the list, which actually is a coworker of mine, uh, Mark Mowdy says, what is the weirdest project you have seen written in Go? <laughs> I have the best answer for this one. All right, let's hear it. That's why I was trying to port forward a minute ago. Um, so when I moved into my new house last year, right around this time, I lost the remote to my television. And I am cheap and lazy, and I did not want to get a new television. 
So I was Googling around for interesting things to do, and I just started Googling for the model number of my television. And it turns out that there is a uh, home automation interface on the TV that is 100% unsecured over Telnet. And we don't need to get started about being unsecure over Telnet, but there is one. You have to explicitly enable it. It, it comes shipped off, so I had to turn it on. But once I did turn it on, now I have a Telnet prompt on my television. So I hacked up a tiny Go program. It's at github.com slash bkettleson slash TV. And using it, you can send commands to my television to turn it on and off, turn the volume up and down, and change the input sources. So from my laptop, I control my television. Nice. And it really is a tiny amount of code. And I was going to port forward that port on uh, my home router so that everybody could could play and turn on the TV and turn the volume up and down. But I just realized I, the IP address of my TV has changed, and I don't know what it is without going out to the television to find it. So we won't play the everybody screw up Brian's TV game right now. But that would have been fun. <laughs> You get props for trying, right? How about you, Carlicia? Um, I don't recall anything odd or weird or stupid. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I just don't pay attention, but I have I don't recall. So I've got one. I don't know whether I would call it like weird, but definitely something I didn't expect to find written in Go was a while back, and I think we might have even mentioned it on the show, there was a project called uh, Fergulator which was a Nintendo emulator written in Go. And that was just kind of really cool. I didn't expect to see that written in Go, especially so early in Go's life. Hmm. Now, uh, how about uh, the next one? Uh, like, I don't have an answer here? Oh, it, hey, yeah, you're familiar <laughs> with oh. Go Project. I, I know in. the Go world a little bit. I was actually really excited to see, and it thought it was a little weird. I didn't expect it, so that's why it's weird, but it's not a weird thing is Ruby, the, the Ruby Lang written in Go. I think that's kind of interesting to take Go and write a object-oriented language on top of it with, you know, I just thought that was like, I didn't expect it. I left field. I, I, I just plus one that, can I? Because I thought the same. And by the way, do you want to introduce yourself? Me? Mm-hmm. Let me say. I'm me. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm here's, me. Here's, Your name and who are you? Because it, uh, I, had, I didn't realize it's going to be on. Awesome. Oh, yeah, well, uh, well. For the folks who are listening, I'm usually the person behind the scenes. I'm I'm here every single show. So this is episode 45. I've been here all 45 episodes. It's been a lot of fun. My name is Adam Stachowiak, editor-in-chief of Changelog. Been doing this for a while. Started the Changelog back in 2009. Started podcasting back in 2006. So I've kind of been doing this for a bit. Um, and it's a lot of fun. I like uh, I like meeting people. I love the hacker community. It's a lot of fun to uh, to do this and to... Do awesome shows like Go Time. And uh, if you happen to be around uh, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, well, I guess really it's uh, 4 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the after show Adam oh, yes. actually comes on after we. we I appear there the too. Tape. Yes. So if you want to hear more of Adam. Sometimes. And Adam will also be a GopherCon. Yeah, I'll be a GopherCon. Uh, I usually have random jobs there. Sometimes I grab the trash. <laughs> uh, I, I help out the staff. Uh, other times I have a camera in my hand, and sometimes I'm just standing there with uh, a weird face because I don't know what's going on, but I try. Anyways, Ruby, pretty interesting. That's R O O B Y, written in Go. 
All right, what do we got next? The next question. Are we going linear down this list? Why not? Where, where do each of you put Golang in two years' time, maybe five years? So basically, pontificate. Where's Go going? Two to these, five years. Uh, yeah, these, these uh, future visions are always difficult. <laughs> like right now, I mean, it really is the language of the cloud, right? Like most distributed system software is being written in it. Um, all the tooling surrounding that, monitoring and metric systems are all written in Go. So, I mean, I feel like it's going to continue to grow there. Um, we keep seeing a little bit of hints at it on, you know, the phone and, and on embedded devices. But I think that the catalyst has kind of already happened in, in the distributed systems world. How about you, Brian? You love these things. I think, I think they pinned your tweet on the GoTimeFM uh, Twitter. Brian's, Brian? Brian's doing barbecue. Right? Did we lose him? He's muted or something. That that would explain why you guys didn't laugh at the thing I said earlier, because ah. I was muted. <laughs> <laughs> we'll laugh like, now. Man, What'd you say? Today. I said that you were the prince of podcasts. What? The, oh, what? See, I've forgotten most of it now. The prince of podcasts, the royalty of radio, and the ocelot of open source. Whoa, okay. That's <laughs> pretty. That's pretty interesting. I thought that was pretty good because I couldn't think of anything that was royalty that sounded, started with an O and I needed to get open source in there. So nice. you're an awful lot. Sorry. That's good. Yeah, I like that. Now you need new business cards. Had I, had I heard <laughs> that, I would have laughed. See? Yeah. Thank you. You bet. I'm here for you. So I think that Go uh, in two years will continue the trajectory it's on now, but in five years, Go will be the dominant server-side language. Uh, taking over the spot of Java, um, you know, a lot of the really big server-side stuff that you see now, especially in the open-source um, infrastructure bits, you know, things like Kafka and Zookeeper, uh, they are slowly being replaced by much smaller uh, memory footprint Go applications that are a little bit faster, a little bit easier to run, and significantly easier to deploy. And uh, that trend will continue. So I think in five years, definitely, Go will own the server-side market. And two years, uh, I don't think the change is going to be that drastic to see. But in five, I think Go will be on top. What do you think is perpetuating that? A single binary deploy. If you've ever tried to administer a Kafka cluster or Zookeeper cluster or any of that, I mean, just the whole, whole deploying JVM. It right. requires a master's degree in deploying JVMs. Wow, that's a shame. And Go is significantly easier to deploy. And I, I honestly think the DevOps movement, the serverless movement, all of those things fit really nicely into a language that has a single binary deploy. What do you say to somebody, sort of a flip side of that question, to somebody who's like Rust or Go? I think Rust, I think it should be Rust and Go. So there are there are sweet spots for both languages. There's no reason that you have to choose one over the other. And there are places and times for each of them. I really like um, Rust for extreme memory safety. But I also think that Rust isn't the language to choose if you want to give it to a team of 100 people and have them build some awesome cloud project. Rust is smaller, really memory sensitive apps. I was going to add to that too. That I think a lot of it too is that these um, these pieces of software for the for distributed systems are often complex and large and a lot of moving parts. 
So I think that having uh, a language that's much easier to fit the whole language in your head at one time, um, I think really helps people be able to be productive writing this type of software. How about you, Carlicia? What's your vision for the next two to five years? Yeah, I agree completely with Brian. It's even with the time frame, I think in five years, uh, Go will take over a lot of space that's taken up by Java right now. Uh, it will become more enterprisey, and I say this because I think it's over the past years, independently of Go, it just has become easier to develop things in components and in a modular way. So it will be very, it will be natural to just replace pieces of, of systems with Go. I don't think Go is going to be homogeneous, the language that's going to be used. And that will never happen no matter what the language is, right? Because it doesn't even make sense. But I think it will take up chunks and enough to be the dominant language because of all the attributes that Go has. Now, in the next two years, I, what I think, what I see happening is we, with uh, Steve Francia coming on board to, to be the sort of like product manager. He has a different title, but that's one idea of what he does. And the development group, working group coming together. I think these next four years, we're going to see a lot of changes in terms of making go easier to onboard people and i ex i don't know this for facts but i expect that the website's going to be redone and be friendlier uh, i i expect more training material i expect training material for different level of developers you know developers that are brand new programmers developers who are experienced programmers but want to learn go so that's what i, s I expect to happen in the next two years and once that is in place it's it's going to the onboarding is the adoption is going to be exponential even more than it is now. How about you, Adam? Do you do you want to take a stab at this? It's uh it's above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's our next question? Well, was Martin Trush? I'm assuming Von something long, a cool name. Who asked who asked that question? And Mark Moody, who asked the previous question. So. That was good. Uh, if we're going to linear, I don't know who has this next one, so there's no name attached to that. Do you want to you want to camp there? Or you want to skip it? I, I, oh, actually, I let's, think let's skip the Gopher Con question. Let's add those. We can do those later. All right. Because well, there's a handful of them, and well, that was also by Martin Troish von Butler. Yes, that's a cool name. I didn't see the von Butler uh, until I started talking, so that's why I was all jacked up. But. That's how it works. Uh, Casey Wilson is next up, though. Thank you, Casey, for submitting this question. This was on Twitter. Is that right? Who, somebody, this is this to you, was, Eric? This was on Slack. I think he was just chatting back Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I'm going to summarize it, basically. Bringing up the Gopher Review channel would be cool. Uh, I think not a lot know that you can get full-on code reviews slash help. Also, how Johnny was talking about naming conventions and using more descriptive names as you get farther away from the declarative than, of course, barbecue. So who? I just want to talk about barbecue. So where we let's start with the first one, which was uh, the Gopher Review Channel. What is this? Yeah, so I guess we'll start there. That's more of a, a awareness thing. So on the Gopher Slack, there is a reviews channel with lots of people who just camp out there 
and are happy to do code reviews for you. So definitely reach out with problems and questions there and, and send them your code. And lots of people love to provide feedback. So yeah, that's an awareness thing more than it is a question for everybody. Um, and then uh, like Johnny Corsico was talking about naming conventions uh, the other day. We were talking about like whether or not you should have one letter variable names and things. And those are some of the types of topics we discussed in those few channels. So basically, this was like the closer you get to scope, uh, where you define a variable, the less descriptive it can be. Yeah, that's actually in the Go styled guide, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's right. It is. Yep. And then the third part of it was more on a personal note, and that was barbecue. And what is your preferred cut of meat and wood type for smoking? Just saying. Mm -hmm. All right. That's a good one. Who wants to go first? I'll start with the meat. My preferred cut of meat these days is a sirloin roast. Nice. And I found them at Costco. They are roughly a third of the price of prime rib and maybe 90% of the awesome flavor of prime rib. So for a ridiculously lower amount, you can almost get prime rib. So I have, in fact, I'm cooking one tomorrow. It's like a eight or nine pound roast. And I think I paid $27 for it. Crazy cheap. And I'm going to be smoking that with pecan wood because that's the wood I have. <laughs> but generally when I'm doing beef, I like oak. Hmm. What is it about the, the trees? Is it or the wood? I guess you should say not the tree because they're no longer trees, right? They're not wood. They were trees. It's pretty funny. Um, what is it about the, the wood type that, that brings out flavor? Each, yeah, each one of them kind of has their own unique flavor and how kind of potent they are. Like oak is a much uh, more bold flavor. Hickory has a much sweeter taste to it. Pecan is similar, except probably milder. It's been a it's hickory. mildly sweet. Yeah, yeah. Um, mesquite is is um, very very uh, potent. Strong. It's a little yeah. bit bitter. Um, but most people usually use woods that are like local to them. So, you know, if you go to Texas, it's a lot of like post uh, oak and things like that. Mesquite. Just because that's. That is so yeah. funny. There's literally a place here in Houston and a street called Post Oak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Georgia uses a lot of peach tree and stuff like that. So a lot of people just use what's, what's nearby. And that availability of wood shapes the regional flavors too. Mm -hmm. You know, and. Yeah. and in Texas, the regional flavors are sharper because of the woods that are available. In South Carolina, they're more sweet because of the woods that are available. And so that's why when you travel, food tastes different, mm -hmm. especially if it's smoked in this case, right? I mean, or at least barbecue tastes different because when you come to Texas, you, yeah, come for, all... you come for steaks and you come for barbecue. Mm -hmm. There's another reason to come. It's a different story. Yep. So I think we can probably... Um, make this question more generic to, to also the type you like to eat. So in case anybody here does not barbecue themselves. What's your favorite uh, cuts of meat and woods, Eric? So I'm going to have to go with brisket. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's just because that's like the king yeah. of barbecue. Like if you can mm. perfect that, you are, you are burn ends, moist cut. Oh. Pit master among pit masters. <laughs> Eric's brisket is to die for. Some of the best I've ever, ever had. I need to do another one, but yeah, definitely brisket. Um, I like hickory a lot. I probably cook the most with hickory. Um, oak's good. I've got like some black cherry that I'll throw in once in a while too, but uh, for the most part, it's probably hickory. 
about you, Carlicia? Do you like eating barbecue? Um, I don't eat much meat these days, but uh, I'm so also not. I I did in the past, and in barbecue and Brazilian barbecue, rodzio, all mm. that kind of thing. Mm. I don't. I'm not as knowledgeable as you, especially when it comes to American cuts of meat. Because uh, in Brazil, the cuts of meat, some of the cuts of meat are different. Educate us. Well, tell us. I don't know enough to oh. even, I don't even know the, like how you call stuff. So they're here. just, are they called, they're just called different, right? I just know that because when Brazilians want to barbecue and right. they want a specific cut of meat, they go to a Brazilian meat store. Right. Because they're going to cut the meat that way and you don't get that cut of meat. We have a couple of places around here that's Brazilian and they, like, when you order, it's different than like, a traditional steakhouse, for example. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm talking about Brazilians in your in the US or right. outside of Brazil. But when I did eat uh, a lot of meat, and I'll go to Brazilian rodízios, I remember I liked a lot. My favorite it was the hump. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like some some cows <laughs> or maybe it was bulls, rump. I don't know. Was it rump? There's rump roast. Rump? No, well, the hump like on the back of the animal. Really? Mm. Yeah. There's meat back you know there. What yeah, it's very fatty. It's very moist, and it holds the um, it holds up the, the whatever marinade you put on it. It holds it up pretty well. For example, I, I would like brisket, but I don't think it tastes right. Every brisket tastes the same. The texture changes. Some are better than others, but mm. yeah. So the difficulty, like this, is where you get into like animal anatomy. So up near the back um, aren't. Uh, as much working muscles, so that's like where the, like your prime rib and all your ribeyes and all those good steaks come from. But on the cow, the the brisket is in like the breast area, so it's a it's a really tough muscle, like a working muscle for holding. I think it's, they say like something like sixty percent of the the weight of the cow is wow. supported by it. Yeah, yeah. So really, really tough. So that's why like their I heads, their heads are huge, you know. Yeah. So, and I think that's one of the reasons that I like that cut so much is um, it's so tough. So there's like this perfect balance between if if it's not cooked enough, it doesn't break down and doesn't become tender and it's just tough and bland. And if you cook it too far, it becomes more like just like roast beef and just shreds. So trying to get like that perfect. Yeah. Is that uh, where the term fat back came from? Could be. Yeah. So I just looked up the, the, the cuts of meat that I was talking about in Portuguese is called cupim, and in English it's called hump steak. Oops, mm. I've never heard of it. That's awesome. Me either. I'm, I'm oh. going to write it down because I want some now. If you go to a Brazilian churrascaria, you need to ask for this. Wow. We are getting educated uh, here, man. It's Ooh. amazing. You know, there's a really good Brazilian steakhouse in Denver that we might need to go to, Carlicia, so you can educate us on all of this delicious meat. Yeah. Oh, let's do it. What's yeah. it. Do you know the name? By any chance? I don't remember the name. I just remember the location. So we'll 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 figure it out. Carlicia yep. knows a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, because, she does. Um, uh, I I was out in San Diego uh, for work, and I met up with her, and we went out to dinner to uh, like a what was it like an Ethiopian restaurant? Yeah. 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 I'd never had it before. What did you eat? Fried dirt. <laughs> Fried dirt. <laughs> it was actually. So one of the coolest parts about eating that way was um, like one of the things that I love about like barbecue and things like that is like it brings people together, right? Like having having a cookout and having people over, but like the way people eat uh, is awesome. So it's like 
you you ordered everything and it, everything came out on one plate in the middle of the table and i don't know what you call the bread that comes rolled up like that it's it's called injera yeah so it's like almost like pancake material or spongy and you tear off pieces and you kind of pinch your food off in it and eat so what? everybody kind of collectively yeah that sounds what? cool ethiopian yeah. food is my favorite foods it's like if stuff. I'm going, if I'm going to go for a day, and you say you can only have one meal that day, and but you can choose whatever meal is going to be Ethiopian food. Hmm. I, I just culturally, I thought that that was really cool because that like really brings everybody together. It's not like I get my plate and then I go off and eat it. Everybody is sitting around that plate. Like everybody's yeah. food is the same place. I'm gonna jump in here and say we have a ton of questions yes. in a finite amount of time. Let's do this. Let's. That was a good subject. Though. I like that. We're gonna have well, to. Why don't, why don't we take a break one. for our sponsor? Why don't we hit our first sponsor break while we're here? Since we've Brian, that's a great idea. Everybody hungry? I, I love know. it. I know. I'm starving. <laughs> Let's break for some food. Oh gosh! Today's show is brought to you by Barbecue <laughs> and Top Towel. Hey everyone, Adam Stachowiak here, Editor-in-Chief of Changelog. Our friends at TopTile have been sponsoring our podcast for years, and now they're sponsoring GoTime as well. We think they're one of the best ways to hire developers and designers, as well as one of the best ways to freelance as a software developer or designer. Head to toptile.com go to learn more. Tell them you heard about them on GoTime. If you'd like a more personal introduction, email me, adam at changelog.com. And now back to the show. All right, we are back doing our AMA. So we, we went off kind of on like on a tangent there with barbecue and uh, food. Now that I'm hungry, uh, what, what else do we have <laughs> for questions? I think, here we go. So our next question is from uh, Wade Arnold, and this came from Twitter. Uh, he says, what aspects of the language have made it so popular for open source projects? Think of all the large code bases for complex systems in Go. I think we touched on this a little bit when we talked about the future of Go. I think that, you know, the single binary deploy, you know, um, basically the, the language not being as complex for people to understand makes for more manageable code bases. Did anybody have any additional? Oh, I think there's there's a huge reason for me, and especially in terms of the large complex code bases, is the readability. Go was very specifically built to be read more so than it was built to be written. And in a really big code base, you spend far more time reading code than you do writing code. So uh, having a programming language that optimizes for developer productivity by allowing you to easily read the code, uh, I think Go trumps all other languages in terms of readability. It's so easy to see what's going on in Go compared to other languages. Yeah. I was thinking exactly that. I was going to say, I don't really know. The only thing I can think about is the readability factor, which is amazing. And you don't understand what it is until you're really working with it for a while. It's interesting to say, though, that uh, in a large code base, you would read a lot more than you write because technically somebody had to write all that. But uh, reading it would totally make sense, especially if you didn't write it. You're probably going to read it, right? Because you, you can't write what you didn't write. You got to read it. I, I totally agree with that. You read so much more. Even the code that code that I wrote, I keep reading to figure out, okay, what is this doing again? <laughs> There's a lot more reading, I think. Yeah. Like a book, 
code is like a book, y'all. Read it. Y'all. So our next question came from Casey Wilson on the GoTime FM uh, Slack channel. It says, uh, something else I'd like to see your guys' development environment. What is your what is your focus mode look like? That's a good question. What does focus mode mean? I think it, like super productive, like in the zone programming is, okay. is what I'm going to take that as. I wasn't sure if it was like a term for like the IDE or something like that, or an editor you might use. I was like, I don't know about no focus mode. <laughs> so I'll I'll start first. So typically, um, I work in Vim, and I use the i3 window manager in Linux. So typically, I have kind of i3 configured where I just have uh, Vim taking up most of the window and another window, you know, uh, to the side or something. That's my shell, and that's just what I do. I, I'm perfectly happy in in just a command line. Yeah, for focus mode, mine's exactly the same. If I if I know I have some dedicated time to really sit down and focus, I'm right with you in i3. With um, usually I'm doing i3 on a laptop though, so it would be uh, one i3 window per thing. So I'll have an i3 window for my editor and an i3 window for my shell and an i3 window for a browser. And it just pop back and forth between them using the quick i3 command keys. Hmm. Now I should also add like when I'm in super focus mode, like I'm a big music person. So I love to jam out to music while I'm coding. Like my wife will come home and that's when she knows I'm in the zone because music will just be like <laughs> blaring in the house. And I'll just be here. Hmm. How about you, Carlicia? Um, I'm very volatile with uh, editors. I come to realize uh, sometimes I go through a stretch of times when I'm using Vim and then I run into a roadblock with Vim and I switch to my go to switch to was uh, Adam. And then I recently changed to VS Code, which I, I really like, especially for the ability to navigate through, you know, all the way through the chain of function calls, but I haven't set it up yet. So I don't, I don't have any shortcuts uh, and there is a, a lot you can do. And we actually going to have a show with the, the woman who develops the, the plugin for VS Code, the Go plugin for VS Code in a couple of weeks, I think. So that's going to be pretty awesome. Maybe I want to have to give us a tutorial. But so that's one thing. Um, another part of my flow is the DV app app that I can just move windows around with a couple of shortcuts. I can't live without that. I need to have headphones on my ears. I don't care if there's music playing. Sometimes I don't realize really like playing earmuffs. or not. That's funny. Yeah, it's a comfort thing. Like doesn't matter if it's over the ear, if it's my Apple headphone, I need to have them on. Sometimes they're not plugged. They're hanging <laughs> on my side because I'm like, I move around, I, I unplug. That is so and funny. I'm like, oh, it's unplugged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I do listen to music. Um, house music is very good for me. But coding. Do you use Spotify by any chance? Or do you I, yeah. curate your own yeah. list? Yeah, I've gotten Spotify. into BrainFit personally. Uh, it, for me, I've been like, uh, on the music front at least, I will listen to like some type of electronic music and so like for a while there, i was just listening to electro now but then i found myself getting upset and i'm like why am i getting upset like what's angering me and it's the music because it's too repetitive or it's just too beady and so i switch over to like brain food it's sort of like the same thing but a bit more it's kind of like sleep music but work music mixed and it's kind of like relaxing but yet motivating i don't know how i get it but 
Yeah, I'm with you though. And some sort of like house music is kind of cool too because you kind of have like a unt, 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 unt. Maybe something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I'm assuming, right? Is that how house music goes or am I wrong? Let me do that again. Maybe it's like this. It reminds me of, do you guys remember the, the Strong Bad episodes? Like the little cartoon online and the, the one where he did the, how does uh, he answers an email? Mm-mm. Something about. He uh, lost I'll look, me. Yeah, I'll look it up. It's hilarious. And it's like he starts imitating how techno music goes. That's so funny though, Carlissi, with the headphones though. Like, even if there's no music, you got to have them on. Like, that's. I got to have them on. Like, I loved I hearing can't. that because. It's like concentration mode. Headphones go on. Wow. <laughs> and and also, cool. talking about things that I don't have, uh, I'm very aggressive about turning off notifications. My, I don't get no- mail notifications. Um, I don't get Twitter notifications. If I'm looking at it, it's because I took the time to go look at it. Mm. So very important for me to not to have stuff popping up all over the place. Nice. I'm with you on that for sure. Yeah. So Adam, what's your focus mode look like? And then I have a question to add to this that kind of came up in this discussion. My focus mode, it kind of depends what I'm doing. So I can't, I can't compare it to coding Go. There's, there's lots of times where I'm writing code. There's lots of times where I'm uh, in sketch designing something. There's lots of times when I'm in Adobe Audition editing something or face in front of a mic recording something or in front of something else writing something. I often write a lot of stuff for the sponsors, intro stuff for us, all sorts of things. So it kind of depends. But focus mode for me is is definitely, like Carlissa said, like turning off notifications, basically just closing down Slack. I don't have email notifications. I silence my phone. I have stopped answering the phone because basically... I get nothing but solicitor phone calls. Like if I get a phone call, it's nine times at least. Okay. I'll say maybe 10 times out of 10, a solicitor. So focus mode for me is like turning that thing off. I I almost don't even use the phone except for maybe to call my wife or doctor or something like that. Like I don't use the phone part of the phone, but uh, music though, I'm like a little bit there with Carlicia. I got to have some music on. Like if I find myself in like a, I'm doing something that requires me to get into flow to get into the flow of doing it and doing well. I find myself struggling if I don't have music going on. So if I feel myself kind of dragging, I'm like, what's wrong? Why am I not in a groove? It's because I haven't turned on my music yet. So I've learned painlessly over over time just to like at some point turn on some music. But I don't always get to do it because it's just like if I'm editing or something like that, I can't have Spotify or music going on and be editing a podcast because it's, it's sort of like counterintuitive to like have two things of audio competing so that's why i catch myself a lot not having audio going on but that's that's kind of focus mode for me is notifications off i do not get email notifications close things that i'm not paying attention to and i'm a big fan of focus and that's what i do yeah the music thing helps a lot too like i have adhd too so it's hard to get focused sometimes and sometimes just kind of like getting in the groove of the music is enough to kind of set you on track so the, the question that I had to add to all of this that sort of came up was styles of music, because this is actually really interesting. We did this experiment kind of like uh, on a social gathering on one of my, my work trips, and uh, it's actually really interesting to hear what everybody likes to listen to for mm. music, what their favorite type of music is. And the weird thing is, is it's usually always something and EDM, right? Like almost everybody's like, you know, death metal 
and EDM, you know? Yeah, I I like uh, breakbeats a lot. I like uh, the dub stuff stuff. I like that kind of stuff. But then I will easily go and switch on Guns N' Roses. Like, I'm a huge fan of, like, their first album. Uh, I think it's something Destruction or something like that, if I recall correctly. Yeah, Appetite for Destruction. So I'll easily go back and just turn on Paradise City and start doing my moves. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't help it. So I'm I'm a, a metal kind of rock kind of guy, classic rock, Led Zeppelin, Kansas, Sticks. I'm speaking Brian's love language here. You're close. You're close, but not quite. Uh, who's who's your your number one? It's my number one too, but I, I'm not. I didn't say their name yet. Dream Theater. Dream Theater. I knew there, it. There That's, is no other band. There is no other band. That's that is the best. And if you haven't listened to Dream Theater in a, in a while, like it's it's the best. Now, did y'all know this is a side topic? And I'm sorry to take it there, but Katrina Owen, her husband, my boyfriend, I'm not sure which it is, is a phenomenal drummer. Did y'all know that? No, did not know Drum that. Quake. You look up Drum Quake on YouTube. You, you look at that first video and you will be amazed. Amazed. This guy's phenomenal. He's got a great resume and it, he could totally hang with Dream Theater. That's how good he is. That's big. Yeah, it's big. Hmm. How about you, Brian? We just did mine. Okay. I was Dream Theater. And honestly, it's probably the same reason that, that people like EDM. Like, you know, it's, it's the, for me, it's the complex beats, complex rhythms, complex key signatures. I need something to distract part of my brain so I can work. And that's what it boils down to for me. Some, I have to distract some other thing so that I can get work done. It's probably an ADD thing. So for me... I'm not super educated as far as music goes and styles, and I'm sure there are styles out there that I would love, but I just haven't found or haven't looked yet. I don't geek out on music so much just because I want to be practical. It's like, oh, this works. I don't have time. But I cannot listen to music that has lyrics. I love Guns N' Roses, but it won't work for me if I'm coding. Because uh, I'll be paying attention to the lyrics. I mean, it sounds so nice. So I get distracted. Mm. Uh, so what I look, like to listen to is house music, um, heavy metal, like Sabbath, Sepultura, um, things like nice. that. Yeah. Now, yeah. See, I call them Sepultura. Nice. <laughs> Sally, it's Sepultura. Wow. right, though. Sepultura is how you say it. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, who doesn't love that band? I mean, that, that to me, their first one, I don't even think it's like a Roman numeral, right? Their first album? I don't know. It's amazing. Uh, like, it's death metal kind of stuff, or at least the uh, early 90s version of death metal, I guess, maybe. But it's amazing. I would totally rock out to that. So now, if I'm doing something super repetitive, then it's the opposite. It's like, I want to listen to a podcast, because like I don't want to pay attention to what's happening. <laughs> it's so boring. I don't want to pay attention. I can do it. And then I want my I want my brain to be fo- like out of focus from what I'm doing. Then I'll listen to a podcast or like change log or something like that. Dropping notes in the li- in links in the uh, chat there. Arise, that's the album there. Nice. nice. I mean, that's like album one or two, I believe, of theirs. That might be album number two. Phenomenal. If I hadn't shaved off all my hair, I'd be headbanging right now. Oh man, I mean. Uh, I wore the t-shirt. I was so young though when this came out. I think I might have been like 12, maybe 13. Sepultura though. So, nice. so my, 
my favorite music, though, I think I could take an entire episode. I like to think that I have bipolar music disorder. <laughs> like, I listen to everything, and I think it's because like my uh, my dad was a DJ growing up, so I always got used to listening to everything. So I get bored with a style. So usually I'll go on like several day kicks or like a week um, of listening to some type of music. I listen to everything. I listen to to rock, like modern bands, you know, Five Finger Death Punch, uh, Mudvayne. Stuff like that. I listen to, you know, uh, softer stuff like Three Doors Down and everything. I listen to older stuff like I love Guns N' Roses. I'll jam out to Madonna and Whitney Houston. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> like nice. I, I like I like hip hop. Um, I I love uh, so EDM. There's certain styles I like and some I don't. I I like um, dubstep. I love breakbeats. Recently, a little country, but that's still a little new for me. I love like um, late '80s, early '90s freestyle music. That was kind of like the precursor to techno. Yeah, I listen to just about everything. It sounds like we all have similar tastes in music, and we don't even know it hmm. to some degree. I mean, like is, I would say so, an yeah. age thing. Is it a is it a career thing? Like, I don't know. Could be an age thing. We need to have a party. I'd be surprised if I met a twenty year old who knew Sepultura. Yeah, and that's not so. ageism. That's just truth. I'm. They're just an older band. I don't even think they're popular anymore. And unless you knew somebody who turned you on to them, you probably wouldn't have heard of them because they're kind of, I would say that's kind of edge to me. Like you'd, you'd hear about Guns N' Roses for sure because they're sort of mainstream, but Sepultura was more. I am super surprised, you know, Sepultura. Oh, I did not expect that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Love it. There's some bands that I love that I've forgotten that if I heard, I'd tell you. And they, we probably listen to the same music. Sacred Rite. I, mm. Reich, right? I'm not sure how you'd say it, but phenomenal music there as well. Lots of good stuff. All right, you guys ready to jump into some more stuff and maybe do some some go questions? It's funny. Yeah. Let's do, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kyle yeah. with the Go Time Channel. So this is, is some of the people that is work listening for the first time. Or is this Go Podcast? <laughs> it is. It is. It's a it's a unique. Ep- it's episode 45, by the way. So if you want to go back in the backlog, do that. To find some awesome okay. stuff. We we are improvising. Our our guest for today uh, had some scheduling conflicts and could not make it, so we are improvising and making this episode get to know the hosts episode. That's right. So here here is a Go related question uh, from Joshua Smith on Twitter. He says, "What are your thoughts on Go as a tooling language for sysadmin slash ops people? What resources do you recommend for them? Anybody want to take this?" In terms of resources re- to be recommended for sysadmin and ops people, I think uh, everything that you need as a sysadmin is in the standard library, which is one of the reasons that uh, so many ops people like Go, especially the static compilation too. Uh, sysadmins in general have been using things like Perl and, and Ruby and Python to get those jobs done. But when you can use go and statically compile a binary and just drop it on a bunch of machines and get work done. Uh, that's one less thing that you have to install somewhere else. But really, in terms of resources, everything you need is in the standard library to get sysadmin work done. And it's fast. Yeah, and I, I'd agree. You don't need to install many external modules or libraries, things like that. Um, when you make a tool, you can pass it around um, just the binary. You don't have to worry about each host having the proper version of Ruby or Python. And mm-hmm. I write modules installed. Um, that can be a lot of overhead. Or Node. There is some sysadmin tools that are written in Node too. So yeah, it's Why? just copy a binary and wait, wait, done. back, back the truck up. 
why <laughs> would anybody write sysadmin tools in Node? I'm not I'm not hating on Node, but seriously, why would you do that? And it's the language you use. It's, so it's the language you use, right? Oh my I God! Mean, there there isn't a nail in the sysadmin world that looks like that. That hammer is not <laughs> built. Don't get me started. Uh, go, go, Brian, go, <laughs> go, Brian, go. Don't encourage the boy. So our next question is, how do you do a code review? Do you have a checklist or recipe or wiki for reviews? There is an awesome code review guideline that I'm pulling up right now on the wiki. Code review comments. Wait, sorry. That's two it questions is. from Martin. This is the second question. Nice. Let me see if I can find this. So while you're looking for that, I'll answer. Okay. I'd like, I'd like to have at least two people review a uh, fresh pair of eyes. Hopefully one is at least familiar with the domain, um, which those people usually, because they're not trying to learn the domain of what you're doing, um, are typically looking for style and, and things like code correctness. And I like to have somebody who's not familiar with the domain because then they make me question my implementation. Like, is this the right route? Did I even need to build this? Um, and things like that. Uh, often you get too close to the problem. And there's some cool tools too, like uh, Review Dog, which can automatically do some stuff. Um, there's the Go Meta Linter um, that can catch a lot of stuff as far as uh, you know, stylistic things, idiomatic Go. I hate relying on those automated tools though, because they don't bring any domain knowledge and they don't bring any logic or reason to a code review. I think they should be part of your CI system. You know, you shouldn't be able to, you know, just paste sloppy code into a an editor and expect that to go to production. But there has to be a human looking at that code and saying, you know, it makes zero sense to allocate this variable 57 times when you could have done it outside the loop. And those are things that the linters don't always catch. Oh, absolutely. You should not rely on that solely. So on that note, you got this library that's pretty popular in JavaScript right now called Prettier. And I think that's kind of what the purpose of that is, is basically like write sloppy code and it cleans it up for you. Is So you're against that style of programming? I'm not against any style of, of code review tools that reduce the ugliness of your code and reduce computer catchable errors. I'm just saying that that should be you know the, the first preliminary step. There should be a human behind that actually looking at the code nicely just counting on go vet or any of the go gotcha. metal isn't enough Did anybody else have anything they want to throw in there or next question i got nothing no. Me neither. all right next question is from daniel morgan on the slack channel he said what's the silver bullet for imposter syndrome <laughs> and even in his question he noted that i, I got an answer for you one. Own yeah, it. me too. <laughs> just just it. be the imposter. Own it. That's right. Absolutely. That's exactly it. Just do it. Just and do it. And if you need to take it down a notch from the thing that you really want to do, take it down a notch, but just go ahead and do it because you do it, you're going to you figure it out it's not as painful as you thought. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, Put I yourself out there. Everybody else knows just as little as you do. <laughs> it's okay. And I think, I, I don't even remember where I saw it. I'm pretty sure it was on Twitter this morning. Somebody said very specifically, um, you admit what you don't know and own what you do. And I wish it was somebody probably talking at Craft Conference today because that's, that was one of the larger themes of Twitter this morning. But I, I think that makes wonderful sense. Admit what you don't know and own what you do. 
you know, the thing is too, is people fear that kind of stuff, right? Like I, I'm, I'm there too, but like, you just can't live in fear of judgment from other people. And it's so easy to say that and not live it, but that truly is the way out of imposter syndrome is just like, don't like care about how people feel about you, I guess, but don't make it so important to you that you become paralyzed to do something. You know, mm-hmm. don't let fear of the crowd or fear of the impression of anybody pull you down. You know, just bypass it. So I happened to see a tweet last night too, and it was funny. The the hip hop group D12 <laughs> actually tweeted this, what? but it's it's a clip of Gary Vaynerchuk, who I I love that, that man. Like he he's such a motivational guy. Like you know. <laughs> Um, but in part of his thing, he kind of talks about the movie Eight Mile and in it, you know, at the end with Eminem or whatever. He's like, you know, uh, what he figures out and what everybody should figure out, like, is that if you own the things that you're not good at and you just put them out there for everything, that's the truth. Like, yeah. There's there's nothing left, and then you can spend your time on the offense rather than the defense. That's so true. That's how he won that battle. He won that battle by saying, "Here's all the things you might say about me, and here's how I'm twisting them back on you," and he won the battle. Yeah, it, and Eminem in general, his music, that's, it's all about owning it. You are, you know, just be authentic and know that you have a value. Yeah. I love Eminem. <laughs> I, I think it's something you have to remind yourself of almost every day, too. Um, like a lot of people, the view that you see of people from the outside is not how they feel about themselves. You know, you you might hear us on the podcast and we may seem very outgoing and all these things, but it's it's a role we play, right? So we're all playing games here, okay? Yeah, we are all faking it. It's a mask. (laughs) We're we're not all as confident as we may seem. Every Thursday I hang up and go cry in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that reminds me very specifically. Somebody asked the question, we would love to watch you code real time. Could you live stream some coding? And the first thing I thought was, why in the sweet name of anybody would you want to watch me fumbling around writing code? And that's that's imposter syndrome. I, I'll own it. It's yeah. true. I'm terrible about it. And I'll fully admit, like, this show is actually me forcing myself to put myself out there and make mistakes and say things wrong. Um, it took me a while to even think about wanting to do the show. And I've become more and more comfortable with it. Like, hey, the world's not over if you say something wrong. But yeah, I think you just got to own that fear, put yourself out there. And, you know, anybody, anybody who's willing to take those mistakes that you have and turn them against you um, is not worth your time anyway. So who cares what they think, you know? Yeah, that's the truth. Part of that is growing up and accepting uh, constructively meant criticism or correction, too. You know, when you, when you leave your ego at the door, it's easy for, for you to accept somebody saying, you know, you really shouldn't have used a pointer there or whatever. You forgot the mutex. And and that's perfectly acceptable for you to accept that correction without it being a a sign of your incompetence. And and learning that difference is harder than you would imagine. So the next one's kind of a fun one. And I think it evolved from maybe a question that Scott Mansfield asked. And is what emoji represents you best and why? I'll start. So I added an emoji like early on in the Slack uh, thing, and it's uh, the character is Roz, but from uh, Monsters Inc. <laughs> Always watching was out. Always watching, and I think that's because I usually, uh, you know, I, I'm usually around. Like I, I watch Twitter, I watch Slack, but 
but I'm not always like actively engaged, but just watching. Anybody else? So you're you're a lurker. <laughs> Self-professed. Now we know. Eric is totally a lurker. Mm, His Twitter behavior is very unique. And, and but part of that's imposter syndrome, right? Like it's like, should I really say this? You know? So I'm gonna take the easy way out and say that the barbecue go for emoji is mine because it's so true. And if yeah. I'm not coding, I'm barbecuing. I was gonna use that one, but I felt that was too obvious. It is, and I'm I'm just totally copping out on that. I'm sorry. That is a cop out. Yep. Pretty easy. Well, okay, so which one least best describes you? Is that how you say that? Or or is it Yeah, that's probably good. Least best. Mm. The party parrot. The opposite of the party parrot. I hate that party parrot. I'm not sure what it represents. What does it represent? I don't know, but it's just obnoxious. Like it makes me want to have a seizure. We have to outlaw. But for me, the I cannot I can't pick just one. I have to pick two because you have to be the screaming one or the laughing one. The the one that has tears in the eyes, because that's most of the time that's where I am. I'm either screaming or laughing, cracking up. Uh, well if I if I had to pick one, so in our change log slack, we actually have some custom ones. So I my wife put my face in there. So technically that would be the best one. Oh come on. Uh but if I'm looking at my frequently used list. Sadly, I like the wink a lot and thumbs up things, but I would say the one that represents me best is the 100 with two lines. Because mm. I'm down always. You know, I'm excited. This is true. I'd say at least 98% of the time. The, the other 2%, yeah, it's, it's just uh, it's a better time, different time. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. So 100%. That's something I actually say. I'd, I've been saying, like, like in response to somebody, like, uh, instead of saying I agree or cool or whatever i say 100 percent. i've been doing it for years maybe i heard it from somebody i don't know but people coin it people say i i started it i i don't believe them next yeah so there's a question here from uh joe shaw he says maybe you could talk about your day jobs you mentioned them a little bit in passing in shows but as far as i can remember never really talk about what you do on a day-to-day basis you work exclusively in go anybody <laughs> want to take this first I think we talked about what I do on a day-to-day basis. I shoot gators and make barbecue. <laughs> and think about go while doing What are you go. supposed to do? Not necessarily in that. No, that's not true. I, I teach Go and Kubernetes for a living. So if you need training for your company in Go or Kubernetes, I'm your guy. And lately, I've been spending a lot of time, since first quarter is pretty quiet for training, spending a lot of time building a completely self driven uh, online system for learning go and i hope to be launching that in the next couple of weeks really yeah. it's true and it's it's really awesome actually i'm excited about that really awesome yeah i can't wait to take one of your classes that's a good uh, question how can someone take a class from from you brian well they could uh bring me out to their company and i would do the class or if it's just uh, one-on-one i do remote classes I've been spending a lot of time over the last two months with a development group in the Ukraine, and I get up really, really early and teach them, and that's a ton of fun. Wow. Five in the morning? Uh, I wish. Three? 4.30, yeah. Wow, yeah, that's early. Too but they're early. really, really sharp students, and it's, it's been one of my favorite classes that I've done. Wow. Carlesia works at my, one of my favorite companies. Yeah. Fastly. I love Fastly. <laughs> 
And it's funny because Joe Shaw works at Fastly too, and he's my coworker, and we work closely together. So he already knows the answer to this question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Cheater. For, for one of us, he doesn't know for the two of you. He's the one who does code reviews for me and vice versa. We are on the same team. Joe is awesome, by the way. So for, for the listeners who are not Joe Shaw, what do you do? <laughs> what do I do? Yeah, I'm only doing Go. What else do I do? So I work for Fastly, and that's a CDN company. And I'm on a team that's uh, rebuilding, let's say, the TLS and DNS management system. So there is a lot for me to learn in that domain. And Can you explain what a CDN is for those of us who do backend code? Yes. So a CDN is what you would like to use if you want to reduce the latency of your website's loading, because obviously the further physically the user is from your where your content is sitting, the more latency there will be. So if you use a CDN, that CDN is going to replicate your content and it's just going to greatly reduce that to the point of not even being noticeable. Now, that's a very simplistic way of putting, of explaining what a CDN is. And also, there are other features that you get with it, which is uh, protection from DDoS attacks. You know, the CDN will take care of that for you. The security, the CDN is the front gate for your, for mm -hmm. your system. So a, a lot of things that you should be worrying about if you use a CDN you won't have to. So besides the content replication, you get a lot of other features. Yeah, we actually use Fastly. So if you listen to this show uh, via the podcast, not just live, the reason why it's so fast is because of Fastly, because we use Fastly as a CDN to make our site fast. So if you go to changelaw.com, it's super fast. One, because of Elixir and how fast it is in Phoenix, but also because of Fastly and our downloads for that. It's super awesome. Uh, and I'm not just saying that, but they, uh, they, they're phenomenal. And it's so easy. Like if we have to purge something, it's easy to hop into the admin and purge something and replace it. Very, very easy to use. Uh, we track downloads through it. Our whole stats platform is built on the API. I believe we use version two. A lot of fun stuff. Love it. How about you, Adam? You want to talk about your day job? My day job. <laughs> Jeez, I wear so <laughs> many hats. Uh, what do you do? At any given moment, I could be... Uh, on a podcast, believe it or not, a large part of my job is sales. My lord, I do so much sales, it's crazy. Um, mostly relationships, it's really probably the easiest way to describe what I do is, is really about relationships. It's like everybody from the software development community to open source to people who are involved in open source to companies who want to sponsor our shows. And it's not just them giving us money. It's like we really like to work with companies that perfectly align with uh, our podcast and things we do. And uh, the relationships we form from that, like we have so many people we work with over the years that like they're, they're good friends. I can call them and like just say hello and uh, get birthday cards from them or whatever. Hang out. Um, I do lots of stuff. Talk on a mic, edit podcasts, write scripts. Uh, Order T-shirts, pass out stickers at conferences, uh, shoot videos, shoot pictures, edit photos, create Flickr accounts, tweet. I mean, I'm not 
I just do a lot of stuff and it's really hard to compartmentalize what I do. The biggest thing though that I do is, is hopefully, and what we do here at the changelog, it's our, it's our core motto is to enrich the lives of developers. Like our jobs to do what we do here is to hopefully bring you joy, make your jobs more fun, make life more fun, help you get to that next step, face your imposter syndrome or get over it. Um, that's that's the the core thing we do is just make people's lives better, help people. That's what I do. Help people. So then I guess I'll finish this up. So my day job, I'm actually a systems architect at uh, Comcast in the cable division. Uh, so for cable, there's really kind of two sides of it. There is um, the newer kind of IP based uh, delivery, similar to the way like Netflix or Hulu delivers, and then there's uh, what we call QAM, which is quadrature amplitude modulation. And that's how cable is delivered across the coax cable that comes in your house. Um, so I work on with that group. Um, and currently I work on a project for replacing kind of industry-specific hardware that's used to multiplex multiple video streams together uh, into an, a single stream that gets uh, modulated out of that cable. Um, I'm replacing that with software. So the software itself is written in C++. There was a question about all Go. Um, I primarily work in Go. Occasionally, I have to patch that software, um, but mostly another team works on that that's written in C++. But a lot of what I do is design and build uh, kind of the orchestration system surrounding that, how those video streams get deployed, how they fail over uh, when a blade goes down or when an entire um, head end goes down and things like that. So um, anybody who's like really interested in that Um, I actually did a talk back in November at KubeCon about this project um, as we're kind of uh, rolling out IP and and how to to leverage the same uh, networks. Uh, That's actually on YouTube if anybody's actually really interested in it. But yeah, mostly Go, mostly Kubernetes and containers. Uh, I'm fortunate enough that they let me um, work on patches to Kubernetes and Docker that help support some of the stuff we're wanting to do. But not just little patches either. Gigantic patches. Awesome patches. The biggest patches ever. They are. Some of your patches are crazy awesome, especially to Docker. So don't be shy. So another question from Joe Shaw, and this one especially is important because Adam is here. Mm. Says, while I'm on the topic of behind the scenes stuff, I'm also interested in the production of the podcast itself. So you want to talk about how this show is uh, done? Uh, yeah, where to start? Um, well, we get some people together. I'm just kidding. Um, I think this show is a little bit different than, say, other shows. Like, for example, I'll compare it against the changelog. That show is sort of like a two-on-one or a one-on-one kind of scenario where it's more conversational. Where this one is kind of like that, but it's more panelist conversational. We also don't do that show live, so it's... I don't think we can get the same kind of conversation if the show was live. So when you do a show live like Go Time, it, you kind of have to inherit some things like, well, people are going to be hanging out in Slack, and that's part of the show. Like it may not end up in the show, but it reflects and sort of like helps give the show some some attributes and attitude, so to speak. You know, like you can tell a live show versus a non-live show, and we just figured with go time it'd be best to, to start doing it live. And that's one big thing. So the way we make that do it, like I guess the technical pieces of that, 
We have a web service called WaveStreamer, and we point NiceCast to it, and we just broadcast the everybody here to that. That's the easiest way to to describe that. It works. I wouldn't say it's my favorite way of doing it, but it does work, and it's been reliable. Uh, we only had one issue, and it was user error. It was my error. So the time we had those live issues, it was not tech fault. It was Adam's fault. So I was an idiot. We we have a pretty interesting setup here, though. We have a tower that is about 21 U's. I don't know why it's 21 and not 20, but whatever. Uh, 21 U's, a multi-channel interface, uh, four Mac minis, which act as individual Skype machines. And basically, Eric, Brian, Carlicia, and the guest tend to hang out on those four individual machines, like each one to its own machine. That gets plugged into the audio interface, which then goes into the Mac Pro, which then gets tracked to whatever... Uh, DAW I'm using, and in, in this case, uh, a DAW is a digital audio workstation is what that means. And I use Adobe Audition. It's my preferred one because I love JKL, long story short. Uh, what else? Yeah, we track it into there. It's multi-channel, so I'm in my own channel. Eric, Brian, and Carlisa, they're in their own channel, so I can independently move around the timeline and make edits and independently EQ or level each individual guest. That's why. It's a little easier having crappier mics, so most of our guests don't have like professional mics like we all do. Like they tend to be just like whatever headsets, you know. So you make that better by isolating it to its own channel, and you can then fine tune it. Now you can't correct it, make it a better mic, but it's one way we combat having bad sounding shows is is by this process. There's other ways to do podcasting. There's services out there that do some of this stuff. We've been educated, uh, you know, what those services are and how they work and how they're better. But this is how we do it and this is how we like it. And so there you go. But that's pretty much it. What else can I share? What do you, what do you think? What else? Uh, yeah. So I, I'd like to uh, just kind of give a shout out to the unsung heroes. So behind the scenes, oh, yeah, please. Uh, Adam and Adam comes in. But, uh, uh, Jared Santo, also from Changelog, he's always behind the scenes and he's throwing in ideas. And- Santo. Santo. San- not Santa. <laughs> not Santa. Santo. He brings gifts, but uh, anyway, Santo, Jared but Santo. Did a ton of the work, or uh, maybe all of the work on uh, the CMS. The Changelog and GoTime CMSs. Yeah. Um, somebody had mentioned. It's one CMS. It- it's one CMS right, and yeah. one CDN. So, but everybody sees it as kind of two separate podcasts. But, uh, somebody this morning also mentioned uh, the difference between kind of the sound that comes from the live stream and the final produced uh, episodes. And that's a huge thank you to Jonathan Youngblood. That's right. He's who makes us sound awesome. He does. He does an amazing job. And uh, without him, I would, I would be in a ball crying like Carlicia does after after the show i would just be and and just to be clear <laughs> he does the editing of the show that's right yeah which i appreciate because i was doing the editing it's a lot of work it's a lot of work it's a lot of work i mean i'm sorry let me let me correct sure, what ahead. i just said i didn't do i didn't do the editing i did the show notes yes. and he does the editing which is a, a tremendous amount of work and uh, he also is doing the show notes that's right the um the reason why we do edit the show though is because 
just to smooth it out, not to like journalistic it, you know, or make it NPR. It's not that it's just to smooth it out. Cause like the live experience, if you listen live or you listen to the, you know, the, the produced version that goes on the podcast feed, they sound somewhat different. Um, one has ads and the other doesn't. So that's a reason to come listen live, but you kind of get this more raw take on, on the live version. And we don't produce the live version as a produced version. It's just meant to be raw. So it's not a live production that just gets turned into a show. We allow people to listen to it live and we welcome that. We want that, but then we take it behind the scenes and we polish it up and make it a little bit easier for somebody to listen to that may not, you know, be that into the raw side of things, so to speak, you know, in terms of how the show is done. I love the live part of the show. I don't even think I would want to do it if we weren't broadcast live. And if it didn't have that live feel. Yeah. For me, that's huge. It just, it, it's, it's, it's part of the go ethos, you know, we're inclusive, uh, everybody's involved and it's not people up on a tower handing down news. It's, it's everybody in the community, you know, being part of the process. And that's what I love about it the most. I fully agree The the live part, that's why I, uh, I like to chat after the show. Cause it's just kind of fun having people there and hanging out and stuff like that. I like the raw side of things. Yeah, I, I love the dialogue between the listeners. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel so much like uh, just recording some material that's just going to get posted somewhere. It feels more like a, a real, true interaction with the community. So, if, if people have time to come at 3 p.m. Eastern and and like jump in the channel, like we love that stuff. Yeah, even mm-hmm. if you come for the after and show. appreciate it. I mean, we love it and appreciate it. It's it's it wouldn't be the show if we didn't have the uh, GoTime FM channel and those who hang out there every single week. It's awesome. And then the other person would be Breakmaster Cylinder who does our intro music. Ooh, Breakmaster Cylinder. Yeah, Breakmaster is a very fun to work with, very awesome to work with, and is relentless. And I say that with like capital letters, underlined, bolded, relentless with delivering like the best stuff. And what I mean by that is like attention to detail. He wants us to be happy. Like did did it work out great? Does the good community love the, his updated version of the, which is essentially like inspired by the original. So for those who went back to episode one through maybe 20, uh, you'll hear one version of the intro music or our theme music, so to speak. And then the second version, which is Breakmaster Cylinder. So when we kind of did a rebrand, we went back and, updated all of our music and that's why you hear the change loves music is different as well but we wanted a kind of a a certain thread between all of our music and breakmaster is awesome yeah so i think that we are over time and i know that there were over. yeah i know that there were some other questions and we will probably try to save these and talk about them later i know we kind of deferred some GopherCon stuff um one thing i do want to say while we're giving shout outs is that although Brian and I are the faces of GopherCon, just like with this show, there are a lot of unsung heroes behind the scenes making things happen too. So yeah, I think Brian and I probably need to do a post just kind of shouting out to all the people who make it happen because it's not it's not just us. There are a number of people behind the scenes with that as well. Yeah, and the biggest one I want to shout out this year, uh, it prematurely of our blog post or whatever we do, is Sarah Adams for helping us take on the. Um, scholarship applications and awarding process that was a tremendous amount of help that she and her group of people that she kind of brought together gave us that's so awesome really really appreciate it. they're not done yet so if you haven't gotten a notification that you got a scholarship don't freak out there's still 
still plenty of time left, but they did start announcing yesterday or the day before. And it's so much fun watching the excited tweets of people who are going to go for con who didn't think they could. All right. So with that and our 12 minutes over, uh, let's let's close this thing out. Thank you to everybody for being on the show and uh, kind of sharing your, your own personal thoughts. And huge thank you to Adam for actually coming out from behind the curtain. We've tried so long to get him to come out and talk on the show. Thanks to all the listeners and everybody who submitted questions for today. And even if we didn't get to your question, we will hang on to those and maybe we can do uh, an AMA periodically uh, with those. Um, definitely a huge thank you to TopTal, our sponsor. Uh, share the show with uh, friends and coworkers. Easy way to subscribe is gotime.fm. We're at gotime.fm on Twitter. And uh, if you want to be on the show, have suggestions for guests or questions for the hosts, uh, hit us up on github.com slash gotimefm slash ping. With that, goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next week. Later. Thanks, Adam. Bye. All right, that wraps up this episode of Go Time. Tune in live on Thursdays at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time at the changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at GoTimeFM. Special thanks to TopTal for sponsoring this show. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner, at the Fastly.com to learn more. This episode was edited by Jonathan Youngblood, and the theme music for GoTime is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.